Thank you, Jonah. Well, we know this story well, um, but I, I wonder how well. It's all really about the law of God, this story. It's all about the law of God, the Good Samaritan. And um, it's a very dangerous and wonderful thing, is the law of God. It's a bit like, well, I, I describe it like x-rays, one of the functions of it. I once worked in a place, and adjacent to the place I was working, there was a man who'd, who'd been in radiology all his life. He was an old man. And literally, he was falling apart. He was very poorly. And literally, bits of his appendages were falling off because of the damage that radiation had done many years ago, beginning of, well, halfway through the last century, when they weren't quite as careful about radiation problems. And the, the law of God is so dangerous and yet so wonderful. Now, the problem was, was that this man Jesus comes and he's incredibly popular. And the, the, the local or the ecclesiastical bodies really are struggling. They want to get rid of this man because they think he doesn't have a very high view of the law. You know, he says you can just enter. You can enter into the kingdom of God just by being whatever, this born again. You, you can just enter by a commitment. And these people have spent all their lives trying to keep the law. And so they're going to try and pull him down and trap him. And so this lawyer comes. Now, he's not a lawyer like uh, British lawyers. He's really a, a, the law of God. He's, he's a theological expert. He studies the Torah, the Old Testament. That's his subject. And so he comes to test him, to trap him, to set the trap. So this chapter is really all about this conversation between Jesus and this this. Well, whether it's academic or not, but certainly this professional theologian, this churchman, as it were. And um, so Jesus comes to him, and, uh, and he comes to Jesus' teacher. He says, um, you know, what must I do? And what must I do to, be, to enter the kingdom of God? To enter eternal life, you know? It's the, it's the ultimate question. It's the, it's the real, the only question that really matters. What can I do to be right with God? What can I do to use more, another word, to be saved? To enter God's way and God's kingdom and God's, ultimately God's heaven? And it's, it's an important question. Then. And he's trying to trap him. So Jesus says, well, what is written in your law? And he says, well, he says, Jesus says, how do you read it? Well, he said, he answered, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you live your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, well, you've answered correctly. But the man thought that he was, by loving God in this way, by trying to keep the law, he could attain, he could attain eternal life. He thought he could do it. And he thought he could keep the commandments. And uh, the problem is he doesn't see how self-centered he is. He doesn't see how insidious sin is. We're all selfish. What we do offends God. If we, if we deceive the tax men, we cheat the tax men. It's God we're offending. If we leave our spouse, it's God we're offending. If we're bitter against other people. It's God we're offending. We're breaking his law. We're breaking his law, the royal law of love. Because we're self-centered. We're me-centered. 
We revolve around me. We, we, you know, we, when you get a school photograph, you know, when, when you got handed it back, you know, the big one, who do you find first? You go for yourself. That's not very good, you know. That's how we do it. We are self-centered. And, and, and Jesus, what he's trying to do, he wants to win this man. And so Jesus is going to set a trap, a love trap, because he wants to win him. He wants to show him how his way of thinking ultimately will lead to hell and damnation. It's incredibly serious. Far more serious than x-rays or any physical thing. Because we, you know, we can't keep the law of God. We have, we've broken the law of God. We, you know, we've offended the law of God. Offended God. We owe him a great debt. We owe him a great allegiance of perfect obedience. And we haven't done it. And, um, and that's, he's trying to win this man. It's a, very, it's a loving thing. And so this is, this is what this story is about. And um, you see, what he should have done is say, well, you know, just throw himself on the mercy of God. And God would do all that he required to do. And, and what he could, what he should see is that Jesus would say, look, God has sent me, and the Father has sent me to come to earth to live and to die so that my infinite goodness will be transferred to your spiritual account. That is how it works. I am going to give you all you need for this life and the life to come. Well, he wasn't convinced, the man, and he thought he could do it. So he's going to say, I'll show you I can do it. So he says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Set me a task and I'll show you I can do it. I can do it. So Jesus tells this story. It's a, every parable is a salvation story. And um, see, Jesus wants him to face it. He faces it. That's the first thing we have to do. We're always to look in a mirror and see ourselves. And we don't like doing that. And um, he wants to deal with our self-righteousness and this man's self-righteousness because it's ultimately damning. And, uh, and, he, and we have to see ourselves in the, these two guys, the priest and the Levite, who are going to come along the road. Anyway, you know the story, some of you. A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. And uh, they stripped him of his clothes and they, <laughs> and they left him half dead. Right? And now this is a very dangerous road. It's 17 miles. It's 2,000 foot drop. Some of us have been on it. And it's a modern road now, of course. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a mugger's paradise. You know, you, you can jump out on these people, especially if you're on a, a, a single person traveling. And, uh, and of course, there he is. He's, They've got him. They've stripped him of his clothes. His clothes are worth something. Didn't have much else, no doubt, but they stripped him. Well, the first man to come is a priest, a high, high ranking in, in Jewish society. Like, probably a, an Anglican bishop, let's say. And um, he comes and he sees the man. He's on his horse, let's say. Now he doesn't stop because he thinks this could be a trap. They're probably waiting behind that rock. 
Or he thinks it could be a foreigner and we do not deal with Gentiles. Or else he could be dead. And if he's dead, if I touch him, I'll be unclean, so I'll have to go back to Jerusalem and have a couple of weeks getting cleaned up again spiritually. Or else it could be the judgment of God. This man has done something wrong and this is God's judgment. He deserved it. I'm not going to interfere with God's sovereignty. So he clips, clop, goes by. A few, I don't know, hours later, another man, a Levi, a good man from a good tribe, comes. They're very respected in society. They were the helpers in the temple in ecclesiastical affairs. And he sees him. He knows the, he knows the priest has gone ahead and he hasn't done anything. And then besides, he's got some meetings to, to deal with. You know. and so he, he leaves him. And, and off he goes. And um, I think the people think this is going to be a joke. There's a joke. It's going to be an anti-clerical joke. You know, there was a, uh, a priest, a Levi, and then and, and I said, a lay Jewman, a lay Jewish guy. That's the secret. He's, he, the winner's going to be lay, the, the non-clerical Jewish guy. But he didn't say that. He said, a Samaritan. I mean, they hated the Samaritans, of all people. Because they were in the north, you know, they were in the north of Israel. And they were a bastard race. They were a mixture. They were a, a, a mixture. They were a Mongol race. You remember the Assyrians had conquered the north and the south. But in the north, they'd taken people out and used them as slaves. And they repopulated the place with other tribes people, other nations. And because they'd interbred, so you've got a mixed race, they were impure, the bloodline was desperate. Not only that, they had their own religion. They had their own temple on Mount Gerizim. They had their own Bible. They didn't believe in the Jerusalem Bible, as it were. Uh, anything after the first five books, they didn't count because it was from the south, the southern prophets. So they were hated. And, uh, and then of all people, he comes. He comes. It's amazing. Now the two, the first the Levi and the priest, they, they were full of religion, but they didn't have a love for God because the love for God is always shown in love for people. That's how it works. And these people didn't love strangers. You see, Jesus is trying to demonstrate what it means in the law of God to love your neighbor, right? This is a real model for what we're called to do, for social work. First of all, he goes across to him. He stops. He befriends him. That's the first thing. He goes across and meets him where he is. The second thing is he bandages him. Where he gets the bandage? Probably from his own shirt. I don't know. Probably his own clothing. He binds him up to staunch the blood and to, and to clear for the flies and clean him with the wine. Uh, you know, and to pure, try and a bit of mild alcohol will clear him, help to clear him. And, um, and a bit of oil to keep the bugs off and all the rest of it. And, and, he, and he does what he can. And then he puts him on his donkey and he takes him down to the nearest town. And he finds an inn. Now, it wouldn't be a posh place. It's just a big house where the guy had an extra room would take him guests to earn money. It's not like, you know, a Crown Plaza or even Traveller's Lodge or somewhere where you would go, you know. But it's just one room, and the guy would take him in. And then he says, quite amazingly, 
You know, do what you have to do. And, he, and he, he stays the night with him. The next day, he gave him two denarii, which is two silver coins. And um, they did some excavation. There's some, it's interesting, some, Rome, some archaeological excavation. They found a notice for an inn, and it said, price for night at this inn was a 32nd of a denarii. So by that rate, he's saying, look, two months, two months, Overnight stay, I'll pay for that. So we're talking real money, three, four, five thousand at least. You know, this is going to cost money by his, our standards. And not only that, if, if, by, if by chance, you know, because the man has nothing, he has literally nothing, everything's gone. If you kept him for six weeks and he didn't pay you, you were legally allowed to keep him as your slave. That was part of the law. So the man is saying... You know, whatever, whatever it takes, I will pay for it. And I'll come back again and I will pay whatever's extra, which is a real recipe for extortion, isn't it? And, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you can understand their eyes, the people's eyes are popping with this thing, you know. And, uh, and yet, Jesus is saying, this is what's required. This is what our calling is to be. This is to, our calling as, as, as believers, as followers of God. So the man pays his expenses, he heals his wounds, he uh, saves his life, he saves him from slavery. And um, I mean, this is what the law of God calls us to do. Not just give, you know, two pounds to buy a big issue edition or give him a meal to a homeless man. No, it's a total life of mercy. That's what we're called to do. Well, who does that? And we all fail, we all fall short of that, haven't we? Perhaps you may do it for your children and your wife and kids, I hope you would, anyway. But, uh, but as the Samaritan did, we are called to do this all the time. And we're called to do this perfectly, sacrificially, uh, tenderly, kindly, you know, unqualified love. That's the call. And if you do that, you'll get eternal life. Who does that? I mean, the man can see that. You know, who loves like that? I can't. I fail. And he's tr- Jesus is trying to show this man, you have failed by a, a thousand miles. You think you keep the law, God, you failed. <laughs> and, and this is, it's true of all of us. It's true of when we become Christians in one sense. We are called to live a life of love. The proof that we have been changed, we, we are Christians, that we have changed. We've submitted our life to God, we've received his mercy, and now we live a life of mercy and love. I mean, James said that, we've studied that earlier as we looked at the Sermon on the Plain, uh, early in, the, in, in Luke. And James says, faith without deeds, is, it's useless. And John says the same. But, you know, he says, if anyone sees his, has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And we, go, we could give you many other texts, Matthew 25, etc. Jesus has him. He has him on the mat. And the man knows that. He's not kept the law that he so, you know, speaks about. He hasn't done it. Jesus has him pinned to the mat. He's failed. Well, the same thing happened with Paul, didn't it? 
Paul thought, this, the Apostle Paul thought he was a great guy. He kept the law of God. Then, of course, the Spirit showed him, you should not covet. And he realized, come I cover everything. I want his, I want his money, his job, his reputation. And I'm just full of covetousness. <laughs> I'm failed. <laughs> and he says, I found, says Paul, the very thing, the very commandment, the law, which was intended to bring life, actually brought death. That is what Jesus is trying to do now to this man to kill his self-righteousness. You have to die to enter the kingdom. Turn. And that's what he's trying to do. See, we're all spiritually dead, facing a lost eternity, out of darkness. Our best resources, the best things we do, as Isaiah says, are just filthy rags, fit for the jumbles. Well, they're not fit for the jumbles. They're like a soiled tampon, he says, does Isaiah. You know, they're fit for nothing. And Jesus is trying to get this man to see this. Anyway, so he says to the man, so which of you, which, who do you think was a neighbor to the man? Well, the man says, uh, he says, well, the one who showed mercy. He hasn't the gall or whatever he has to, to, to use the word Samaritan. He won't, even, he won't even say the word. Well, I suppose the guy came and helped him, you know. And... Um, but this is our call. Jesus says to, to, to his disciples, go and do likewise. Now you become a believer, this is how you are to live. The proof that we're born again, that we show the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. The fruit shown. You see, the key word in, in this is what the Samaritan when he saw him, he took pity on him. That's the key word. Compassion. Right? From Spagmizamai. Spagmizamai means God. He saw him and he was moved. You can't walk past. He was moved. The man's a mess. He's bleeding. He's battered. He was moved. Now that is what we're called to be. And most of us are not like that by nature. So how do we get like that? You know? Now, it's, see, with many things that we're called to do, we'll, we, we haven't time to deal with all this work. But how are we going to do that? How are we going to meet the needs? You're going to meet people, the, the call for your money, for your time, for your energy in, in Wickham, nationally, internationally. How are you going to do it? Well, I can soon make you feel guilty. It's a preacher's easy trick. We can soon do it. But that's not how it works. If, if, if I get you feeling full of guilt, you'll soon lose heart and stop and think of something, some excuse. So, <laughs> it's really we have to face Jesus. That's the secret. See, Jesus in one, in one sense is the ultimate good Samaritan, isn't he? He comes and he, he saves us from hell and death. He pays the price. He's... He guarantees that we will never be slaves. We'll, he'll live with us and he'll bless us. And, and we have to see that. And we have to see what he's done for us. And we come, he comes to us in our weak and crushed and hopeless and selfish state. He binds our wounds and he gives us shelter and protection, you know. And um, he adopts into his family. It's amazing. And he's going to come back to us again, he said. That's the great hope. 
But why do we show love for the poor? Because we've known something of the love of Jesus. You've got to see that first. Christianity is not do, 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 do. It's first of all receive, receive. It's gospel, it's good news. It's not, oh, here we go again, and a little late on us. No, you've got to see first the gospel. That's what it's about. See, why, 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 should, I give to the, why should I give to the poor? I mean, you know, I, I, see, Jesus come to selfish, self-centered, religious people like you and me for one reason, well, for many reasons. But to make us like himself. That's why he came, to make sons of God who are like him, filled with the Spirit. You see, so you have to see that. Why should, I, why should I give my money? You know? Because, Jesus says, because I have given my blood. Well, I tithe my money to the church. Jesus said, I didn't tithe my blood. I gave everything for you. Yeah, but if I, give my, if I give my money, they'll waste it. They'll waste it. Well, but he did, didn't he? You know, he gave it. He gave his blood for people like you. Amazing. Yeah, but, you know, if I, if I, give, if I look after them, you know, they, they won't use it well. They'll be scoundrels. They'll be, you know, they'll be scroungers. You know, they won't be good people. They don't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. And he knew full well that when you become a Christian, you wouldn't be the greatest saint that walked on the face of High Wycombe. But he still came and died and shed his blood and bought you again. I don't know why. It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? <laughs> I think so. How, well, quickly, how do you do it? Well, just move on in your Bible to the next little chap, little pericope, the next little passage and Mary is at Jesus' feet she's listening to him Martha, her sister, has invited Jesus and, and his friends no doubt, to stay in Bethany the first thing that Mary does is she sits at Jesus' feet that's the key thing, she sits at his feet Martha's busy you know, looking after all the practical things. Now, let me, get, let me say this. We need Martha's. And if I had time, we could preach on Martha. And she just finished it. Well, in the end, she has one of the greatest testimonies in the scriptures. We'll come to that. We won't come to that today. But, but let's do, see. In the Antique Roadshow, if you've ever seen it, they have, on telly, they have three products, if you've seen it, three different items. And you've got to associate their value. There's a good, better, best. What Martha did is good. But Jesus said, I have called you to that which is best. And, and, and just look at it. It's a wonderful little passage. We could spend weeks on it, you know, literally, and not drain it of all its value. Martha, said, Martha, you are worried and distracted about many things. But one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken from her. This is the Son of God speaking. And she knows that in some sense. Jesus says, I only speak what my father tells me to say. I mean, can you imagine this? It's amazing, this. To sit at Jesus' feet. She's blow the vegetables. 
She knows this will never happen again. Well, she doesn't know that, but he's going to be dead in three, in six, six months' time. She doesn't know. But just to sit in this person's presence, she, she's not a theologian, she's not in the ministry, she's not in the, uh, a religious, she's not you know, a Christian worker in one sense, but she's touched gold. Just to sit with this person. She has never met anybody as, one, as loving as this person. It just, just, you cannot bottle it. It's just wonderful, the, the love of Jesus. Just to sit with him. And, and the wisdom of this man. She's lived a few. She's, I don't guess she's not very old. But she's been around. She, she's never anybody spoke like this. The wisdom. Just to sit and to hear his words. It builds you up, it edifies you. You feel accepted, you feel loved, you feel you're worth something. It, it does something. This guy is incredibly glorious. Blow the jolly Brussels sprouts, whatever they have in those days. I'll be with you in a, a while. No, she didn't say that. She just realized that there's nothing more important than, than this. She feels strong. She feels accepted. She feels secure just by all he says. I mean, she knows that there's trouble around everywhere. But what a person. Who is he? I mean, she's not worked out theologically who is, but she realizes that this is someone's, this is something supernaturally divine. He is the Christ of God, the Messiah, the one we've looked forward to. And she's, she's there. That's why Paul, Paul the Apostle got the same idea. He says, I just want to know Christ. That's my one passion. I don't want to be a religious. I just want to know this person and the power of his resurrection and to share with him in his suffering. David saw it long before. And David never saw the person, but he, by the Spirit, had seen something of the Lord. And he said, you know, one thing, I want, one thing I want in life, and that will I seek after, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What, to become a priest? No. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of him in his temple. That's all I want. And it's not saying, this isn't a call to the priest. No, this is reality. This is the living God. She's touched on him. And Luke's make sure he's got it in, right? And this is the call on our life as we go out now and do another new year, right? You see, we have to face the poor, the homeless, the broken, the starving, the sexual abuse, the sex workers and the needy. And the, to say nothing of the spiritual needs, which is huge. And we often start well. You know, we're full of enthusiasm as teenagers in the 20s and, you know. But how are we going to keep going? I tell you, the only way you're going to do it is to spend time with Jesus. She chose, she chose to sit at his feet. It wasn't, I'll take the tract. No, no, it takes time. There's no quick fix to this. Some of us, it's taken us 60 years, some of us, and we're still not there. <laughs> still, we're still setting off, as it were. It takes time. But you see, you can't understand if you read church history how people how things work. 
But Paul says, Paul sums it one of his, the love of Christ compels us. The word he uses for compels is like water rushing through a, 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 a channel in a stream. It crashes through. We're driven by this. Not, oh, I must do it, you know, because theologic says so in the book. No, the love of Christ constrains me, compels me, drives me. How do you get that? You don't get through going to college. College is great, and I commend it. You don't come... You can read all the theological books, and I really commend those, but it only comes by allowing him to speak to you, you know, to see that he died for you. He gave his life for you. He loves you. He's put his spirit in you. He's given you all that trash in your life, all the vile stuff that you wouldn't anybody in this room to know about. He forgives you. And he, he, he justifies you and makes you right before God. And he brings you into the family of God. And he gives you a hope that is immeasurable. You're incredibly secure. Nothing will change that. You're rock solid. And you realize what he's done for you. And he, how did he do it? By dying to get it. He did that for you, for me. No, it's not because the preacher said so. It's because you have to sit and hear it. You know, you'll never do the love of these practical things without doing this. I mean, Mother, I remember Mother Teresa speaking in Calcutta, and she, she said, you know, the secret of going, and it's just, I've been a lot to India, and to work among street people in India is a different issue. She said, the secret is one hour every day, every day we sit and we meditate on the cross and take communion every day. And then we go out. <laughs> you can't do that stuff unless you've got that. And that's what it's about. But the problem is we get distracted, don't we? I'm so busy. Martha, come on. I'm so busy. I'm sorry. It's all good stuff, Mark. One thing is needful. Yeah, but I'm now the boss of the firm. I'm now the headmaster now. I'm now in charge of the ward. And I've got the books. I've got to... The work. Distract. It's all good. But one thing is needful. Yeah, but I must keep fit. I must do my five miles a day. I must get on my peloton. I must do my steps. I must keep fit. One thing is needed. Yeah, but we've got children now. It was easy before our children. You know, we're now we've got, how many have we got? And a lot of them. One thing is needed. Gee, this is God speaking. One thing on this Sunday morning, the 9th of January, God is speaking to you. One thing is needed, my friends, in your life. I've had, I've had a week to prepare you. <laughs> One thing is needed. That, that's the only way you do it. You know, my wife is very good at IT. And she says to me a very profound thing. She says, to you, if you're going to have a smartphone, you have to plug it in. <laughs> really? Why is it not working, dear? Did you plug it in? Oh. It's not, it took me a while to get that. If you're going to do the stuff that God calls to you, you have to be plugged in. I don't know how long it takes, half an hour, ten. I don't know how to speak for you, but you have to do it. And, and you have to do it. But you say, well, it's all giving, it's all giving this, it's all giving this stuff. You know? Jesus, it's all Jesus says, look, do you want it? I'll tell you what I'm telling you, because I want you to be happy. And Jesus says, tell you what, it, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So if you want to be blessed, that means happy, give. It's a simple equation. That's how it works. And that's how you have to do it. But you have to resolve. Mary chose. And you have to choose for the rest of your life. 
I'm so glad that we're reading the Bible. And I've read the Bible, you know, every year I read through it. But you know, it has to get in me. Because I can tick it off. I'm a really good boy. I've ticked off. Done my foot three bits this morning. It has to get inside you. You know, children have a wonderful habit, little toddlers, of getting the food everywhere except in their mouth. Or the face down and everywhere. Right? You have to find out what works for you. How many, how many sermons do you have to hear on YouTube? How, many, how, many, how much Bible reading do you have to do? How, how many times do you have to meet with friends? To, you have to find ways to find where God will speak to you. And it's not a quick thing. But you have to do it. And Jesus says to you this Sunday morning, one thing, one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the better part. And it will not be taken away. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you will rise in our hearts, that we will not be just hearers of the word, but you will make us doers of the word, that we might know the joy of the Lord as we reach the needy people in High Wycombe and in Britain and to the ends of the earth. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen.